Welcome to the OutThinkers Podcast. Plug into fascinating minds and breakthrough ideas that are transforming industries and the world. I'm your host, Kyan Krippendorf, founder of OutThinker Networks, a global think tank comprised of corporate strategists, innovators, and entrepreneurs that are shaping the future of business. If this describes you, join us at OutThinker.com. Now, let's dive into this week's episode. So one is to reshift your goal to being helping others achieve what is important for them rather than just getting through your material. A lot of us have as our goal to just get from A to Z without really thinking about how important it is for the others to digest what it is we're saying. Second, to remind yourself that in communication, it is full of opportunity. Many of us go into these circumstances feeling like we're put under the microscope, that we're being threatened or challenged when people raise questions. I'm not saying that people aren't really trying to test you. They are. But even in those circumstances, if you see it as an opportunity to extend, to expand, to really understand somebody, it makes a big difference. That was Matt Abrahams, a leading expert in communication with decades of experience as an educator, author, podcast host, and coach. As you heard in the highlighted clip, Matt is passionate about helping people elevate their messaging and communication to really connect with their audiences. Research shows that a key distinguisher between successful innovators and frustrated ones is that the successful ones excel in influencing others. So we're thrilled to have Matt on board. As a lecturer in organizational behavior at Stanford University's Graduate School of Business, he teaches popular classes in strategic communication. He has helped countless presenters improve and hone their communication, including some that have delivered IPO roadshows, as well as TED World Economic Forum and even Nobel Prize presentations. His online talks garner millions of views, and he hosts the popular award-winning podcast, Think Fast, Talk Smart. And he is the author of Think Faster, Talk Smarter, How to Speak Successfully When You're Put on the Spot. His work has helped thousands of people manage speaking anxiety and present more confidently and authentically. In this podcast, he shares with us how to craft a careful, concise, audience-centric conversation in any scenario, which, as a bonus, reframes the conversation to take the pressure off of you and reduce your anxiety. The importance of narrowing your key points to the essentials while putting the right structure around your presentation to make it a conversation. Practical yet easy to implement tactics from his book that can transform your communication into being poignant and powerful. Ladies and gentlemen, Matt Abrahams. Matt, thank you so much for being here. It's great to see you in person. I have been a big fan and we have so many things to cover that we won't have full time to cover. I have so many questions for you. I want to start off with two questions that I ask all of my guests. Number one is just for us to get to know you a little bit more personally, if you could complete this sentence for me, if you really know me, you know that. Thank you first and foremost for having me. I look forward to this conversation very much. If you really knew me, you would know that I am passionate about the martial arts. I have done martial arts for four decades now, and it has been a really important part of my life. I've learned a lot about myself, a lot about others, and it's something that really helps ground me, sometimes physically, literally thrown on the ground, and other times just being more present. So that's definitely something that's important to me that a lot of people don't know. And what styles and disciplines in those four decades have you covered? Oh, lots, lots, lots. So my highest degree is in a style called Kenpo, 
but I have studied many, many, which I think of as swords. No, 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 that's kendo. Kendo, kendo, you're right. Sounds very similar. Right, yep. No swords, but I've studied lots of other arts. As I've gotten older, the arts themselves have gotten softer, so I'm doing a lot of tai chi and qigong and those things now as well, but it helps center me, if you will. Wow, that's great. When I was a kid, I did something, the teacher called it Tai Chi Chuan Kung Fu. So it's kind of like Chinese Kung Fu, but with some Tai Chi in it, lots of round movements. Anyway, we could do a whole podcast on that. This second question is, what is your definition of strategy? Strategy to me is essentially a focused way of thinking. It is setting forth a story that you and those you are working with are aligned to. So to me, strategy is intimately wedded to communication. Wouldn't be a surprise. I'm somebody who teaches strategic communication. But to me, strategy is really directionality that's told through a story. I love it. Yeah. Strategy is just exists in language. It needs to translate into action. And that translation is the communication. So it is the bond. If I twisted it a little bit, and I just thought of this would be, what is strategic communication and how is that different than non-strategic communication? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. So I would argue that most communication is strategic and that when we communicate, we have goals, right? And so that's part of a definition of communication. The course I teach at Stanford's Business School is really around how as a leader, how as a manager, do you align people who work within your organization as well as those external who have some contact point with your organization? How do you align them and demonstrate a vision and a mission? We also cover challenges to organizations like crisis management, like merging and acquiring other companies. So strategic communication, from my point of view, is a very broad umbrella it covers lots of skills. But at the highest level, most communication, as it strives towards goals, is strategic in some way. Got it. And so what I read into your work, and I'm probably getting this wrong or not exactly right, but you've listened to lots of conversations and lots of patterns of communication, and you have studied these patterns, and you're putting them together in these really memorable structures that I want to get into. But can you give me an example? Just kind of like, what is your overall theory on communication? I believe it's something like when I was trained as a consultant, we use something called a game framework. What's your goal? Who's the audience? What do I know about the audience? What are the message points that I want them to hear? And then what are ways that I engage the audience? Do you have a way of thinking of the parts of strategic communication? Yeah, absolutely. Certainly. And I love your game analogy. Whatever helps people focus their communication, I think, is useful. And my approach and the approach I teach my students and the folks that I coach follows along what you've just shared. So first and foremost, the biggest mistake people make when they communicate, period, is they start in the wrong place. We start typically by saying, here's what I want to say. And that's not where you should start. You should start with what does the audience need to hear? So the first part of my approach is it's very audience centric. And this not only helps make the content relevant and meaningful for your audience so they pay more attention or are more likely to act, it actually helps reduce your anxiety. Many people, many, many people get nervous speaking in high stakes strategic situations. And if you can remind yourself that you're in service of the audience and what's important to them, that takes some of the pressure off of you. So we start with the audience. And then as you alluded to, you have to think about how do you portray your message in a way that is useful, helpful, and digestible by your audience. So message design is really important. And I like to leverage what I call structure. So there are ways to structure messages to make it more clear, concise, and engaging. And then the next step is you really have to think about how do we take those messages and deliver them in a way that's authentic and that you come off as confident. So those are the aspects that we really have to focus on as we design our messages. So in all the work I do, those are the areas that we focus. Great. 
So it would make sense for us to go through it kind of chronologically, but I'd love to start step two. Talk about the structures, because that's what I was calling patterns. Can you just give us an example of a structure? Sure. There are many. The new book I wrote is all about how to speak in the moment spontaneously, and structure plays a huge role in that. If you think about it, most of our high-stakes communications happen in the moment. We do create presentations, pitches, we run meetings, but most of what happens is in those interactive pieces, Q&A, feedback, small talk, and we have to get through those as well. And structure is really one part of it. In, in my mind, you have to deal with mindset and messages, and that message part is structure. So Many structures exist. One that many folks are familiar with is a simple problem-solution-benefit structure. If you've ever watched an advertisement, they typically use this structure. Here is this problem. Here is how we solve that problem. Here is how you benefit. And there are versions of that, but that's a structure that many of us understand and resonates. There are many other structures. Yeah, yeah. I'm even thinking of like a typical VC pitch is sort of like a tip starts the problem. Yeah, absolutely. A pitch is absolutely in that structure. Here's the value of structure. Structure is nothing more than a logical connection of ideas, a beginning, a middle, and an end. Most of us, when we speak, we just list or itemize information. If you look at a standard PowerPoint deck, it is just bullet points most often. Bullets kill, don't kill your audience with bullet points. Our brains are not wired for lists. I mean, think about it. It's hard enough for us to remember three or four things. So if I give a presentation, just list things out, very difficult. But when you put things in a logical structure, it's much easier for your audience to digest. In fact, I spoke with many neuroscientists and they all say your brain is designed to intake structure, story. That's what our brains are wired for. So not only does it help my audience because the information is packaged up well, it helps me because it helps me focus and prioritize. So structure is really, really important. And there are many of them that we can use as needed. Right. If you don't mind digging into that a little bit, because what I love about your work is that so often the way we prepare for a communication occasion, whether that's pitching, whether that's engaging with the board or having a meeting, putting up the agenda, you know, we're kind of practicing and we want to deliver what we practice. And you help us, as you said, to be spontaneous. So I've been studying last year and a little bit, I've started studying improv. And what I've come to appreciate about improv, and I know that you have familiarity with it, maybe just explain what is improv. I see the close parallel between, if you just break that down for us, you don't mind. Happy to. I think improvisation is an amazing tool to help people be better communicators, but just more present-oriented, connected human beings. I have learned some improv. I have some improv mentors, and I co-teach a class and have for almost 20 years now with an improv expert. We call it improvisationally speaking. Adam Tobin is his name. And here's the value of improv. Improv teaches you to be present-oriented. There are guiding principles, rules, if you will, that improvisation experts follow that allow them to be spontaneous. In the new book I wrote, there are a lot of sort of ironic or counterintuitive ideas. So one is you can prepare to be spontaneous, and improv teaches that. So if anybody knows anything about improv, and I'm sure you've encountered this, the most popular rule that people know about is yes, yes and. Right. And so this conversation you and I are having is full of yes and. When you ask a question, I answer your question. And then when I make a response, you respond to my response. That's not how most people communicate. You might ask me a question. I say, no, 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 that's all wrong. Here's the right way, right? That's more what communication is about. So improv teaches us to look for the opportunities, the connection points, and to respond. So it's very collaborative. It forces you to listen in a very specific way. And it challenges you to reflect on how you evaluate and judge yourself. In improv, they actually embrace mistakes. Mistakes are launching points for great creative opportunity. 
Most of us do not embrace mistakes. We try to run from them. So improv has so much to teach us and much of it applies to communication. So let's imagine this scenario then. I've prepared the deck. I've practiced and practiced all night with my team. We're going to do one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. In that order, I walk in and something happens, right? Someone asked me a question, asked me about number seven. I'm only a number two. They say, oh, you only have 15 minutes. You thought you had an hour. Like, what are a few things that I can think of or apply in that moment to still be successful? There's some mindset shifts that I would suggest people think about before they ever go into a room or something like that could happen. Wait, sorry, these are things that we could do even before that to be prepared. Absolutely. So these are things to do before it, and then I'll suggest some things you can do during it. So one is to reshift your goal to being helping others achieve what is important for them rather than just getting through your material. A lot of us have as our goal to just get from A to Z without really thinking about how important it is for the others to digest what it is we're saying. Second, to remind yourself that in communication, it is full of opportunity. Many of us go into these circumstances feeling like we're put under the microscope, that we're being threatened or challenged when people raise questions. I'm not saying that people aren't really trying to test you. They are. But even in those circumstances, if you see it as an opportunity to extend, to expand, to really understand somebody, it makes a big difference. If you go into those situations that way, it sets you up better. When things change, you need to be thinking in advance. What is the most important point I'm trying to make here? So prioritization becomes really important. So if you go into a room thinking you have an hour and it becomes 15 minutes, you aren't panicked by saying, oh my goodness, how do I speak You know, four times as fast? You simply say, okay, these are my three top points. I'm gonna make sure I really nail the first one. And if I have more time, I'll at least approach or highlight the others. So this prioritization helps you. The other thing that can help you is to turn it into a dialogue rather than a monologue. Because when you have less time or people are struggling to understand what you're saying or trying to fit in what you're saying into their worldview, having a conversation is much better than having a presentation. So leading with questions, checking for understanding, those are ways to help you in those moments where things don't go the way you are expecting. Yeah, you talk about or you write about chunking as well. And I see that in both places, right? That your structure chunks But those three points, you want to have them chunked, right? I love that you brought up chunking. Chunking is such a valuable skill. You take ideas and you put them into groupings. I call them chunks. This not only helps you if I have to rearrange things on the fly or maybe go from one to three and skip two. If I think about it in chunks, then it becomes just an effort of assembly. And if the assembly is happening within a structure, it helps. So if I'm articulating a problem and there are three or four facets to the problem and I have them each chunked out and you say, hey, you've got less time, I just take the first two and not the others. The other thing chunking does, we as humans tend to remember what we hear first and last more than anything else. And when you have a series of chunks, you actually have created more firsts and lasts. So rather than just having a beginning and an ending, when I have different sections, I have a beginning and an ending to each of those sections. So people end up remembering more when you communicate things in chunks like that. They sort of close that box, put it into long-term memory, and then can move their short-term memory to the next thing. That's a wonderful way of saying it. Absolutely. All right, I've got so many questions and we're reaching towards the top of our time with you. So I'm going to zoom in and ones I think that the audience would be particularly interested in. Many people think that you design the deck and data and argument, and then you do the communication to wrap the communication around it. 
my father, who was a professor for 58 years in the space of communication, human-centered design, he would have said, actually, the communication is the thinking. It's not that you do the thinking and translate it. I kind of hear that in your work. I was wondering if you could speak to that. Your father is right on. I love it. I would love to read his work because that's exactly right. The thinking and the communication are the same thing. And the goal is to take your thinking and map it effectively to the audience that you're talking about. So they're not separate. They are the same thing. And when we create them as separate, here's something that has always frustrated me. When people are preparing decks, they feel like they're working on their communication. They're not. They're working on their deck. You have to work on your communication. And as an outcome of that, you might create a deck. So the way in which we think and the way we communicate are very related. And yet we separate them and that can get in the way. Yeah. I know you spent a lot of time with cognitive scientists and the like. I haven't seen you write about this. So if you don't have an answer for this, fine. But is there a scientific support of the idea that communication and thinking are interlinked? There is some evidence that I am aware of that the voice or voices that we hear in our head as we think use a lexicon, use a language that is related to us. It is not necessarily linear, so we can have multiple conversations, if you will. And that can be very hard for people, especially speaking in the moment, because they have all this chatter going on in their head. They're trying to localize it. And that's where this notion of prioritization, really understanding your audience helps. I am not a cognitive scientist, so I don't know the detail there, but I do know that they are related and people look at that self-talk. Got it. Okay, great. So in terms of our chunking, we'll zoom out for a little bit more and then we'll zoom in. There's some very specific, practical, tactical things. So I heard this fascinating interview that you conducted with ChatGPT, that you had a way to translate your voice to text and then her text to voice. And it was spooky. So maybe you could just first tell me, how do you think to do that? And then I'd just like to talk a little bit about how do you see like human to machine communication changing things? So if you think of it, you and I, I think are of a similar vintage. And if you just think of what's transpired in terms of communication and tools in our lifetime, I mean, my father's 91 and I think about, he grew up where there wasn't a phone in his neighborhood for a while. And when there was a phone, there was one that the whole neighborhood shared. And now he's got two of them. And so it's just amazing how technology has impacted us. So when generative AI started becoming really popular, I and the team that work on the podcast I run, Think Fast, Talk Smart, we started thinking about what's the impact of generative AI going to be on communication? And we were thinking of all these questions, and then it dawned on me, why don't we just ask generative AI to tell us what it thinks? And so we did exactly what you said. So I interviewed ChatGPT, and it was fascinating. It was fascinating. I left both amazed and seeing potential to help people communicate. Think of a non-native English speaker who needs to communicate something important in a boardroom or in a meeting. The tool can help in incredible ways. Think of somebody who's preparing for a job interview and you can ask the tool to generate potential questions. Amazingly helpful. But I'm also very concerned. How do you make sure the information is accurate? How do you make sure it's correct? What happens when nefarious activities start playing out? So I am ambivalent, but tending towards optimism and excitement. In the course of our lives, we've seen technology just impact communication, sometimes by our own choice, sometimes by the pandemic and other situations like that. And the thing that I just want everybody to reflect on is we have adapted. We have adapted and we continue to find ways to better connect and better communicate. We have to make sure that we put those as priorities because some of these tools can make that a little harder, but we still connect, we still collaborate. And that's ultimately what communication is all about. Amazing. Well, again, we could open that door, but let's get practical and then ask you just maybe one or two closing questions. 
Talk to me about calendar invites. I heard you talk about some tips for how to make them more effective. I love that you've done your homework into these little nuanced things that personally to me are very important, but I don't get the opportunity to talk about a lot. So thank you for opening up this box. Meetings are tough. Many people struggle with meetings and we don't set ourselves up for success. I think the most underutilized expectation setting tool is the calendar invite. We don't spend much time at all thinking about them. However, if we were to leverage them well, they could actually help us. So for example, what do you call your meeting? You know, many people say update meeting, status meeting. If you give the meeting a more impactful or interesting name, people might be more excited to attend and they might think differently. You know, you and I were talking, we both have teenage kids. When my older son was looking to get a car, I said, okay, go check out used cars. And he came back and said, I can't find any used cars. I was like, that's silly or funny. I don't understand that. And he said, there are a whole bunch of these certified previously owned vehicles, but I can't find any used cars. And I had to explain it was the same piece of crap car. But when you label it certified previously owned, it sounds very different. I'd much rather buy that. And they charge you more for that versus a used car. So what you call your meetings matter. In the invite itself, set up some expectations for people show up if it's virtual with their cameras on. I always put a question or a challenge in every meeting invite. And that's what I start my meetings with. I want my meetings to be engaging. If you think about it, most people don't like meetings. Yet, how do we start our meetings? By reviewing the previous meeting. That's ludicrous. You don't like this one. And I'm going to remind you of the last one you didn't like. So instead, start with some kind of action, collaboration, challenge, and then review the notes. So your meeting invite can be so helpful. Beautiful. Great. Well, I highly encourage people to follow you, buy your book, find your videos. I have learned so much and so many other things we could talk about here. They'll have to do it after the podcast. And how can people do that? What's the best way for them to learn from you and stay connected with you? Thank you for the opportunity. So I'm a huge user of LinkedIn. Please feel free to connect with me there. My podcast is Think Fast, Talk Smart. I'm not very creative. The new book is called Think Faster, Talk Smarter. And you can go to mattabrahams.com. I have a whole bunch of resources there that I've created and others have to help people be better communicators. Well, Matt, thank you for taking so many years of studying communication and packaging them into such digestible chunks for us. It was great having you on. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you to our guests. Thank you to our executive producer, Karina Reyes, our editor, Zach Ness, our audio engineer, Jack Tipper, and the rest of the team. If you like what you heard, please follow, download, and subscribe. I'm your host, Kyan Krippendorf. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you soon with another episode of OutThinkers.